Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name's David. I feel like every week I do that, I try to race to say it faster, but I'm going to try and slow down next week because it sounds a lot like, by the way, my name is Oscar. It's like I'm sliding <laughs> into your DMs. I mean, that's the important part, right? That's definitely the important part. Sliding into the DMs. Absolutely. Uh, It's another Womp Womp Wednesday, but let's have some freaking fun because you know what? This should be fun. We started this podcast because we wanted to have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's first start with, well, what are you drinking, buddy? I saw you you cracked a beer before we uh, we kicked things off. What are you drinking? It's true. Um, I am drinking a celebration. Sierra Nevada celebration. That's what we're rolling with. I feel like... It's a theme, and I feel like that's important. Let's celebrate. Uh, this this ice you're hearing? There, that's I hear the, it. That's the, the happy jingle jangle of uh, some whiskey, some bullet rye, with four ice cubes in a neat little glass. But not neat, because that would mean it has no ice. Correct. You learn lots of things here on the Better Rivals podcast, <laughs> including things about whiskey. So it is indeed a Womp Womp Wednesday. Let's talk about what happened uh, but before that, let's talk about, well, really the only news coming out of headquarters, and that is that both Terrell Owens and Roger Craig are Hall of Fame semifinalists. Uh, and Roger Craig, I think this is like his third or fourth time he's a semifinalist. Terrell Owens, I think this is indeed the first time that he is a semifinalist because this is the first year that he is eligible, correct? I believe that is correct, yeah. All right, so two questions for you. One, is Terrell Owens a first ballot Hall of Famer? And I guess you'll answer the second one by way of the first one. Who, which one of those two is more deserving, Roger Craig or Terrell Owens? Um, I'll actually, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll flip the order of the questions then to answer them. I, I do think that Terrell Owens is more deserving. Um, I, I think that he was uh, pretty good at his peak, a much better player than Roger Craig was. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, Terrell Owens is likely one of the, regardless of what, you know, with, with T.O., it's always hard because, Everybody wants to talk about all of the other things that happened with T.O., but when you look at just what he did as a football player, I mean, there's no question that he's one of the best receivers to ever play football. Whereas with Roger Craig, I don't know um, that you can really make that argument. I don't know that you can make the argument that he was even the best player at his position for any period of time during his career. Um, so I think it, it's a little bit of a tougher case for him, which is, uh, you know, obviously why he hasn't yet been uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I do think that Terrell Owens deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, I honestly have no idea. I'd have to look up here uh, who the other semifinalist is and see what the the rest of the class looks like to see, uh, you know, whether that's uh, something that looks like it would be likely to happen. But uh, I I do think that he would be a player deserving of of that uh, honor. Terrell Owens is second all time in NFL receiving yards, 15,934. He is second place to whom? Um, hmm. I don't know. Uh, listening right it, now, if you're if you're listening right now and you're wondering what the answer to this question is, just stop. Turn it off. <laughs> Shut it down. That's it. Jerry Rice. It's the answer to all these questions. That's Every correct. wide receiver trivia questions, the answer is Jerry Rice. That's indeed correct. Uh so yeah, I mean, I agree. Definitely deserving, definitely deserving first ballot. Um, and definitely more deserving than Roger Craig, although I still do believe Roger Craig should be in the Hall of Fame. And don't want to beleaguer this point too much, but I think there's, I think that there is value in what a player does for a position, even outside of their era, so to speak, even if they're not the best one at that position. And for me, I think Marshall Falk gets a lot of the credit for being the first dual threat passing, you know, kind of rushing running back. Uh, and to me, that was more Roger Craig. So I think less so because of the raw numbers and more so just mm-hmm. because of, the way that he evolved the position in the offense that he deserves to be a hall of famer. But I do think it's close enough on the fence really that you could go either way. Like I I understand why he's not in. I really do. Uh, But at the same time, personally, I have certain criteria. And so I think that he should get in. But yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see that argument Uh, for me. Like if it was the hall of very good, right? Like he would be in there. I, I just don't know. Like I think the hall of fame should really be something reserved and I, and I actually do get in like somewhat agree with like that type of argument right like somebody that um kind of changed the game uh at, whether it's at their position or you know like had some sort of uh mark that led to some innovation within the game like i i, I think that is a, a pretty compelling argument but 
I don't know. I, I think that really when it comes down to players, especially like it should be reserved for the truly special players for this game. And I don't know. It's the same kind of thing that I go back and forth on. Um, honestly, with Frank Gore, like Gore's hung around a little bit longer than I thought he was probably going to, you know, when we had this conversation, like when he was uh, first leaving the Niners. But it's that same idea that like, OK, Gore was really good for an extended period of time but like there wouldn't be a single year where you would say that he was even one of the three or four best running backs in football right there were always some other guys Ladanian Tomlinson um you know Sean Alexander for periods etc etc like that were always better at their like had a higher peak during those seasons right so I don't know it's a it's a tough argument to make like it really just comes down to what you think the hall of fame should be I guess and and what that your your criteria is for that well, let's talk about the Niners then in their most recent game against the Cardinals. It, it was a not-so-terrible 23-20 loss on the road against the team that, again, we thought they were going to clear the spread. We thought it was going to be a 14-point win for the Arizona Cardinals. So really, first takeaway comes in the form of a question, David. How bad are the Cardinals? How bad are this iteration of the Arizona Cardinals that they just did not that they let this team hang around because this is not a good team. There we'll talk about how they're trending upward, but is how bad are the Cardinals this year? I mean, they're not good. I think offensively, right? Like that's really where their, their problems have been. I mean, in this one, the 49ers benefited from not having, uh, you know, Tyron Matthew out, uh, you know, on, on the field for this game. So that certainly, you know, makes it a little bit easier for them to be able to throw the ball um, in their defense. You know, he's obviously a key piece of what they do there, but the story, I mean, their defense is still, I think they were like third in DVOA going into the week. So that hasn't really been the problem. It's been offensively, uh, and it's been Carson Palmer and in the passing game, especially. I mean, David Johnson had been putting up some really good numbers, but that passing game had, you know, essentially fallen off a cliff from what we saw from them last year. And, you know, this Carson is still Palmer, an offense. I mean, this is still an offense that only threw up 23 against the Saints, right? And, and so they threw yeah. up 23 against the Saints, which have... A, a literally kind of inverse part of the DVOA table in terms of defense. And they were only able to put up 23 points against the Saints at home. And now is, is Tyron Matthew that big of a piece for that defense that it's like, all right, you take Tyron Matthew out of it. And now all of a sudden this defense gets to like a little better than New Orleans Saints level. No, I mean, he's certainly not that big of a piece, right? He's not enough to drop them from one of the best defenses in football to uh, you know, I would say even a below average defense, like they're not quite as good, right? They don't have, you know, you're not going to make an argument that they're one of the best defenses in football up there with like the Eagles and Vikings and Broncos, you know, that caliber without him for sure. But um, they're, they're still a like very good, probably still top 10 defense, even when he's not there. Um, and so I think, you know, that was one of the more surprising things, right, was that the 49ers were able to do anything against this defense and uh, were able to to throw the ball and have some success there. They didn't do a whole lot on the ground. I mean, pretty much uh, all of their, their rushing yardage came from Colin Kaepernick and mostly Colin Kaepernick scrambles, not even uh, really designed runs that much. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very surprising to see the 49ers put up that many points against this defense, even with Matthew out of there. So let's talk then about our second big takeaway, and that is the 49ers offense beginning to show signs of life because now, now in back-to-back games, they've put together their first and third best passing performances of the season, and this is per DVOA. It's a limited sample, but you're starting to see them, as Colin Kaepernick would say, get their wiggle back. You're starting to see <laughs> passes get, do that, that word wiggle, I'm telling you, it's man. It's a good word. I, I wish we had a drop of that wiggle wiggle song and just play it every time oh. Mike Davis gets the ball. You know, we'll play it now with Colin Kaepernick. I just want to like, now that he's said the word, I just kind of want to shake him and watch his fro, like just wiggle back and <laughs> forth. I feel like that would be like, I would pay money to do that just to like, just shake him and just see his fro. His I mean, majestic, majestic fro. Great. Just moving <laughs> in the wind, you know? Like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But they're, they're beginning to complete some of the plays that we saw them miss so obviously early in the year. And it looks like this team has a heartbeat on offense. Yeah, it's uh, it's again, we're not talking about uh, them getting suddenly like incredible play at quarterback or even this being like a really, really good passing offense. But, you know, we're seeing some pretty clear signs. I mean, you look at what the, they did 
collectively with Gabbert and Kaepernick prior to the bye. And, and it was really ugly. I mean, 54.5% completion rate, 5.7 yards per attempt, uh, seven touchdowns to seven interceptions. And, and that worked out to a 68.6 passer rating. So uh, again, very, very bad production from the quarterback spot there before the bye. And uh, they've pretty much seen improvement across the board over these last two weeks. So Kaepernick's uh, completion rate is up to nearly 60 at 59.4, uh, 8.8 yards per attempt, which has been really huge. Uh, three touchdowns to one interception, all good for a 96.8 pass rating. So the the production has very clearly um, been much higher over these last two weeks. And, you know, they're. Things aren't perfect. Like he, Ka- Kaepernick still struggles with certain things. He hasn't been great under pressure. Um, but you you are even seeing some beyond just the production signs of development from Kaepernick. You know, I don't know. We haven't seen enough of this over a long enough period of time to say whether this is something uh, that we can count on kind of sticking and, and continuing to be there going forward. But he hasn't been as quick to, to leave the pocket. Right. You You wouldn't call him smooth back there like he doesn't move through the pocket like Brady does or anything close to that. But he's not looking to to get out of there at the first sign of trouble anymore. Um, you know, the accuracy is slowly coming around. We saw him connect on some some deep passes this week. Uh, and I think his decision making in terms of when to take off and scramble and when to actually get the ball out of his hand has generally been pretty good. Um, so I think, you know, you see some signs there, things that he struggled with in the past where he's starting to show a little bit of improvement. Um, and it's it's promising. Like it's it's nice to watch after watching just this horrid quarterback play for so long. And we talked about you know, some, making some plays and hitting on some plays where before we would miss them. And we've talked about this passing concept on the show quite a bit. And it's the Saints passing concept. It's one of Chip Kelly's core passing concepts. David, you broke it down in one of your preseason Chip Kelly kind of uh, uh, offensive breakdown articles on Niners Nation. But there's so we won't kind of break it down in depth. But all you really need to know is that the, on the backside, there's a post read. And we've seen Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick kind of sail this pass underthrow it overthrow it throw it into the stands you know i mean basically they connected with everything but the receiver and we finally see them connect on this pass on the backside with the post and 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 the bonus the cherry on top is that colin kaepernick actually moved up or left in the pocket avoided pressure hits the pass uh, so all in all, it's like, whoa, hello, things are happening. Yeah, it was, uh, like legitimately impressive play, right? I think there were a few times we probably like three or four plays in this game where you're like, wow, that was, that was a good play. Like, you know, in the, even though the numbers were a little bit higher the week before against the saints, you know, as we talked about last week, it was a lot of these really short throws, you know, not overly impressive passes that just happened to get a lot of yards after the catch because, uh, you know, a variety of factors there. And and this week we saw some more downfield throws that were impressive. I mean, he had the third and long conversion to Torrey Smith on the left sideline there. That was a really great throw. Um, you know, this one here again, where, like you mentioned, you actually see him like shuffle up and into his uh, left a little bit in the pocket to avoid Clayus Campbell coming up the middle. Um, throw like actually get some air under the pass which is uh, a little bit odd for him um and and he gave him a chance you know again it wasn't a perfect throw like he probably could have uh you know in a, an ideal world got it out a little bit further in front of quentin Patton and let him kind of run under it a little bit more and and be able to kind of uh hit him in stride there and he probably scores a touchdown on that play but he gave him a chance which uh has not happened even a single other time on this play when they've tried to throw this post route it's just been uh, you know, so far off target that the receiver didn't have a chance to go up and make a play. And, uh, you know, here he gave him a chance and Patton was able to to come down with him. Well, so you have that one. And then the one that really jumped out at me was the third down conversion to Torrey Smith on what looked like a smash route. And I, I'm, I'm I was actually in San Francisco this weekend and I went to Oakland to visit Richard, friend of the podcast. Uh, and I was hanging out at an Oakland bar with two other Niner fans. And they they were all making fun of us because they're like, oh, everyone's in hiding. There's no Niner fans here. I was the only one in a Niner shirt. And I saw it was third and I think it was third and 17. And uh, I third and 19. 19. Third and 19, 19 got 21 yards. Yeah. And I actually just, I went to get a beer. I was like, oh, it's third and 19. It's, we're going to yeah. like, yeah, this is not going to, this is not going to end well. Right. And I walk up to the bar and I, I, I order the beer and look back up to the TV and I was like, holy shit, we converted. Like I saw Tori catch it. 
go out the sideline. I was like, what? I, 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 uh, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> this is going to yeah. be one of those kinds of games. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was legitimately shocking to see them. I mean, it was after I think they had two penalties leading up that put them in that position exactly. to begin with. And it was just like, okay, here's another drive. I mean, they're backed up basically at their, you know, their own goal line at that point. Um, and you're just like, okay, yeah, this is over. This is, they're going to throw it like, I don't know, a screen. They're going to throw something short. They're going to get pressured. And it's just whatever. We're going to throw levels and he's going to throw his first yeah. read or they're going to throw a drive route or they're going to do a wide receiver tunnel screen. And Quentin Patton's going to run away from his blockers. Like th- th- this is the team we know and love. Yeah, it's uh, it- it's it's been really hard to expect anything else, but. Yeah, he made uh, again, it made a great throw there. You know, I thought there were a couple other passes that that looked really good, like that were actually, again, impressive throws um, to to kind of fit in some tight windows there. And then, you know, getting back to one of the earlier points, I thought he did a good job determining when he needed to take off and scramble. You know, generally when he did scramble in this game, um, it was because the play is exhausted, right? There was nothing open downfield. It was time to get out of the pocket and, and try to create something with his feet. And he did. Um, you know, he made the the great, uh, you know, kind of throw to Curly in the corner there that was kind of improvised right after um, he started to scramble off to his right a little bit. Um, so he's just kind of generally keeping his eyes more downfield than he has in the past and, um, you know, only really taking off with his feet once there are no other options. And so that's been promising. I mean, he made he, basically on that that game tying drive made several plays. I mean, he was their entire offense in this game. Again, they didn't run the ball we- well. Are we going to get are we going to get teased again? Are we going to get absolute like like Colin Kaepernick is going to is going to not be great, but he's going to be good enough where, you know, he improves week by week or this was what we just finished up week 10. Yeah. So we've got, you know, and, and we had our buy already. So we've got another six games where Colin Kaepernick just shows a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And by the end of the year, he is by no means above average. But he's shown you enough that you want you're like, all right, now that you've got your health back, now that you understand the system, let's see what this can really be if, you know, Balky leaves and we get a GM and now all of a sudden he's like, nah, deuces, I'm going to Denver. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really the 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 last part of that whole thing is the the key part of this, right? Like I, I don't see any way that he stays like and, and this is probably part of the reason why I wouldn't get my hopes up even if things continue to go well. But unless Balky gets fired, I, I think there's about as close to a zero percent chance as you can get uh, that, that he's going to still be in San Francisco next year. You know, if he gets fired, if Chip stays um, and they you know manage to to figure that out to where they get a GM that wants to have Chip on board and is kind of uh, committed to that relationship, then, yeah, you could see a scenario where. Kaepernick kind of steadily improves a little bit over the rest of the season is looking okay, you know, has a good rapport with chip and and wants to at least sign, you know, a one-year deal or something like that and, and stick around here a little bit longer. And you could also see a scenario where he would be their best option for next year, right? Like even if they were to draft somebody high um, it's again, not always a guarantee that those guys are going to come in and do well. And it might be best to, you know, have that guy. This isn't a really strong uh, quarterback class from the looks of things right now uh, at, the, at the top of the draft. Yeah, so doesn't look like it. Yeah, maybe it's a scenario where, OK, you have Kaepernick come in there and at least he's starting for the first half of the year or something like that. And, uh, you know, you go from there because there's a lot of work that needs to be done with this offense, especially before they're going to be, you know, a consistently good offense week in, week out, regardless of the opponent. So uh, there, there's a lot of other pieces that they need to add there and just getting i mean obviously like we've talked about several times the quickest way to an improved offense is better quarterback play like there's no denying that but this offense is really really lacking when it comes to the skill positions and they need to get some other pieces in there too before things start to to click long term don't worry we'll talk about quarterbacks and quarterbacking here when we get to nfl quick hits in our next segment but let's get to our third takeaway and that's going to be a giant dog turd of a holy shit in that we did not allow a hundred yard rusher. And not only was did we not allow a hundred yard rusher, it was to the guy who hasn't not gotten double negative a hundred yards all year, and we didn't even allow a hundred yards rushing total. Like th- this was just basically the defense saying, Oh, wait, we get paid too. We're gonna go ahead and play a little bit of defense. And and it, it was remarkably surprising. 
very strange. Um, I mean, I don't know really how else to describe. Like it was, uh, I mean, a lot of things about this game were surprising, but this was far and away the most surprising thing to happen. I'm, I mean, they've been so bad for so many reasons, uh, you, know, you know, all season long. So yeah, 80, 80 yards rushing on 23 carries was what they finished with as a team, three and a half yards per carry. Um, it was the best by, uh, Run run defense performance by DVOA all year by a pretty solid margin. They ended up at uh, just about a negative 40% run defense DVOA. So, and again, remember defense negative is better. Um, and, and they hadn't even been, you know, had an above average performance, I think, since like week two or something like that. Like it had been a while. So um, I tweeted this out earlier and or, or, or early in the game. And actually, it may have been even pregame, but I remember the first time we played the Cardinals, Bruce Arians, because he's Bruce Arians, insisted on channeling the power of the Kangol and just said, I'm going to throw, throw, throw because I'm Bruce Arians and that's what I do. And in this game, was it more a function of him being stubborn with the pass and not running? Or was it more a function of the 49ers actually playing well against the run? I mean, they were still pretty stubborn, right? I mean, you see they, they played with a lead for basically the entirety of this game. Um, and you still see Carson Palmer throwing the ball 49 times and only 23 total rushes, right? 19 for David Johnson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they did probably stick with the pass a little bit more than you would typically see from teams that are that are playing most of the game with the lead. Um, but they also like one of the things that stuck out was how they were kind of predictable in their personnel groupings, right? As to whether they were going to run or pass. Um, basically, any time that they had one tight end or fewer on the field if they're in their 10 or 11 personnel, right? So three and four wide receivers on the field, they, they pass, you know, basically every time, um, 19 of the 23 runs came when the 49ers were in base defense, um, which is, you know, every team, uh, pretty much across the board is going to be a better run defense. When you look at just like pure yards per carry than they are when they're in base compared to when they are, are in their sub packages. But, I think that's been especially true for the 49ers. They've been really, really terrible uh, when, when you get into some of those sub packages there. So, yeah, I think that 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 part of it helped as well. You know, they were able to be a little bit more prepared for it. Um, and then they just did some basic things that we haven't seen them do all year. Well, that's that's going to be our stat of the week this week is that the, the, the fact that the Arizona Cardinals passed nearly every time they were in 10 and 11 personnel, 19 of their 23 runs as David said, were when San Francisco was in their base defense. And I think it's almost a yard and a half better per carry against uh, the 49ers that they are better in their uh, base versus nickel. And a lot of that has to do with just the people on the field, right? When you're in your nickel, you've got Eric Armstead, who loves to jump into the wrong gap because that's what he does. Uh, you know, so you've got you've got some players that aren't playing gap responsibly, so to speak. And and now all of a sudden you're running into the teeth of the base defense, which has Glenn Dorsey. We he was our spotlight player last week, who continues to play well. And so all of a sudden you're playing to your disadvantage. So it's definitely I think something that was important this week when you're looking at the the 49ers and their run defense because uh, a smarter coach, one maybe that rhymes with Will Rarocheck, uh, <laughs> might not uh, be so inclined to be predictable with his personnel groupings. Um, so let's talk a bit about how good that, how, how good. All right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. How <laughs> let's, let's talk about the improvements this defense made in doing some of the basic fundamental things. That is the thing we call football because our spotlight player of the week is going to be Gerald Hodges and Gerald Hodges played probably one of the better or best games that he's going to play in a 49ers uniform. Um, and one that we haven't seen since it, let's say Navarro Bowman got injured. But this is a player who was the highest PFF graded player this week. He had three stops. He had an INT, a critical INT at the end of the game. And he had, I think, three or four tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage, which is not usual for a 49ers defense. So, you know, we've talked a lot about linebacker playing defensive line play. But I think specifically calling out a much maligned unit in terms of Gerald Hodges is important when evaluating how good or bad the 49ers run defenses. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, uh, this is probably the best performance we've seen from a 49ers inside linebacker that, you know, wasn't named Navarro Bowman this year prior to his injury. So uh, it, it was impressive. Like he it, like kind of 
did things all over the field. And it was really, you saw them, again, do some of the basic things. We, we've talked about when discussing the struggles of this run defense, right? Like that stopping the run really comes down to three things. You need to be be sound in your gap assignments, right? You need to have everybody or each gap uh, accounted for and have a defender for each one of those gaps. You need players to beat their blocks, right? They need to to be able to get off blocks and then they need to be able to finish the deal and and make tackles. And they just haven't really been, been able to consistently do all three of those things all season long. And we finally saw that. I mean, the missed tackle front, they only had four missed tackles accord, according to PFF this week, um, which I believe is like one of the lowest totals uh, of the season. They've typically been around like the eight or nine mark um, per game this year. So they, they, they didn't miss as many tackles. Um, you had guys getting off blocks. I mean, I think, you know, getting back to that being in, in their base defense, you had some of your better run defenders on the field, right? They don't have great run defenders necessarily, but Quentin Dial, Glenn Dorsey are probably two of their better ones. And when you get them in sub packages, generally those guys aren't on the field. It's usually going to be Buckner, Armstead when he was there. You know, you're seeing Ronald Blair starting to get some of those snaps, Tony Drodetti a little bit, usually somebody else in there with Buckner um in, in the sub packages so your run defense takes a hit there and then so now you have you know this defensive line that's being a little bit better than than what we've seen uh and that's one contributing to kind of keeping some offensive linemen off those linebackers and then two you see the linebackers just playing a little bit better right there were some there's some plays like one that really stuck out to me was um a, a play that actually ended up being one of hodge's stops where nick Ballore comes flying in it, it was a power play you have the pulling guard that's just about coming up into the hole and looking for a linebacker to pick off. And Ballor just flies in there and kind of takes him out, right? Goes low, um, kind of blows up that run a little bit, and and Hodges is there to kind of clean up the mess and, and make the tackle and get the running back down for a minimal gain. So you just saw them doing some of those things as a unit. And Hodges was the one, I think, that probably stood out most among the individual performers in that group. So that about wraps it up for our coverage of this game. Um, I think this is the kind of game of this season that we expected overall. Yes. When we were previewing the 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 team this year, this this is I feel like this game is the 49ers this year in a nutshell. Even if they end up with more losses than they ended up with last year, because there's there's a little bit of a rumbling of well maybe Jim Tom Sula wasn't that bad. He took effectively the same team to five wins. Um, I think that's a little bit of revisionist history. He he was indeed bad. <laughs> and he was just team, as bad, if not worse, than you remember. Correct. And this team is better in nearly all facets of the game than the Tom Sula era 49ers were last year. And yet they still might end up with, with fewer wins. And yet the losses are closer. You're not going to have the big blowout losses. You're going to have them play and, and come up against teams where they have no business really, you know, scoring 20 points on the fourth-ranked defense based on DVOA. So this is the team we thought they would be. Um, and and I know that we've already done the stat of the week, but I, I find this incredibly interesting. Or not interesting, but just funny. Ha-ha, funny. Um, the, the Niners are, of course, low in terms of overall DVOA. They're 29th overall. But they are closer in terms of their team performance to the Carolina Panthers than they are to the team right below them, which is the Houston Texans, the six and three Houston Texans. Yeah, they're not good. Right. So it just kind of goes to show you that it wins and losses in, in a compressed 16 game season that a lot of things have to go right. And this is why, you know, if the NFL had the humans to play, you know, like an 82 game season, like they would in basketball, you'd always have the same damn teams at the top because over time things begin to emerge and 16-game seasons introduce a degree of variability that you don't have in other sports like baseball or basketball or just really, really long seasons. So, you know, this is the team we thought they would be. And honestly, if you're a Niners fan, I, I still I don't advocate tanking on purpose, and I don't think teams should tank on purpose. But if you are not going to be in the playoffs and you know you're not going to be in the playoffs, then you might as well have fun while playing and lose at the end. <laughs> on a last second field goal so that you can get that draft pick and then move on to NFL quick hits. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is that they might not have to tank, you know, at least try to like, they're not going to win a lot of, there's not many games. Like we talked about this last week, no. I think 
They're like really the aren't. teams on this schedule that are they're left are generally better football teams than them. And I, I yep. don't think that even if they play like they did here, that they're gonna find many wins left on that schedule. They've they've gotten through the soft patch of their schedule. We'll put it that way. We talked about that last week. Yep. But all right, David, NFL quick hits. I added two more this week because I thought it would be fun and I want to get through a couple of these. And there's also going to be uh, maybe a, a penis joke here a little bit later because this is the Better Rivals podcast after all. Um, so let's try and get through this in 10 minutes. Let's try amongst try amongst try 10 minutes. All right. Look at the time. Let's start right now. I'm just going to go ahead and rapid fire through all of them, David. Let's go. David, we, we had Vikings watch on the podcast early this season and now the the vikings are an abject dumpster fire why do they suck so much despite the fact that they looked so good earlier this year they have a horrible run game and their tackles um are maybe the worst in football they're calling me to play tackle i just uh checked my my voicemail um i don't think i'm gonna be able to make it but yeah, it's a dire situation to tackle. Does for them. the job interview involve you tapping another lineman? Because if so, you it. would get that job. Right? Immediately. Just like, hey, guys. You would get that job. Watch this tap. I got Absolutely. it. <laughs> watch. Are you Just, ready? Are you ready? I'm about to do it. Did you see that tap? Oh, my God. Did you see that tap? It was so good. Yep. Um, that's the Zane Beatles rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, right, uh, I think if I had to put it in a nutshell, that's, that's the right question too but okay hold on but let's let's i know i said 10 minutes but like that defense that defense carried him for a long for for a couple of games is is there something going on with their defense that's preventing them from doing a bit like the the eagles where the defense is just kind of keeping them in games and carrying them and and then all of a sudden because their offense didn't look bad i mean stefan diggs had like 97 catches before the end of the first half in this game and and yet they still couldn't pull it out, and and so I, I just I don't know it just it's it just sucks because that team seems like they should be winning, and I kind of want them to be good, and there they are. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, I've watched a lot more of the Eagles. Like you know, I, I felt like those were two pretty similar teams, right? They they were kind of lumped into the same category early on in the season, um, kind of one with the same sort of blueprint in terms of this really dominant defense and uh, an offense that was kind of okay and didn't really mess things up and and was able to do just enough um, and had surprising play at quarterback for, for different reasons. But yeah, I've, I don't know. I've been able to watch a lot more of the Eagles. Like I've done uh, quite a few of their games for PFF this year. Um, And their (laughs) pass rush is just kind of incredible. Like their pass defense as a whole is very good, but it really starts with that defensive line up front and the, the guys that they have there and Brandon Graham and Connor Barwin and, uh, it's kind of a scary unit. And and I think we've just seen the Vikings not be able to maintain that sort of play. I mean, they're still very good, but they, they just haven't been quite that, that dominant group that we saw early. All right. Well, we'll get to our next question here then. And let's talk a bit about, uh, well, we talked about the Eagles, but now I'm going to make you choose between the Eagles and the dolphins, which one of those two teams will have a better year at the end of the year, the Miami dolphins or the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so how are we, how are we saying better? Like playoff birth record? Um, what, what's our, our criteria here quickly? Let's say get to the playoffs. And then once you get to the playoffs, it's a wash. Oh man. Um, I mean, Miami might have an easier path in the AFC. I feel like, um, you know, the, a- we, we talked about a little bit last week, right? With the AFC West and how they might have three teams that, that get into the playoffs there and take both the wild card spots. Um, and you could assume that there's going to be some level of them kind of, you know, maybe beating up on each other a little bit and they all kind of group around a similar sort of, of record at the end of the season. Uh, and I think the opportunity could be there for Miami to kind of slip in and grab one of those wild card spots. I mean, they certainly aren't going to, to overtake new England for that division. So that's going to have to be their path. Um, you know, with Philadelphia, I don't know. I think that they could, they, they've banked a few losses that they probably shouldn't have so far. And, and they're stuck with that five and four record right now, but I think they are playing better football. I think they're the better team. Um, I just don't know, you know, with Dallas obviously being being the front runner in that division. Um, I, I don't know that their path is easier than the Miami's potentially. Well, fun fact of the day, even though Philadelphia is first in overall DVOA, 
Miami, based on their win streak, is now sixth in overall DVOA. And they are, other than the Seattle Seahawks, the only other team that has all three units, offense, defense, and special teams, uh, I think in the top 15 in terms of DVOA ranking. Looks like their offense is sixth. Top half, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so everyone else has some kind of glaring deficiency. And the Seahawks and the Miami Dolphins are the two teams that have all three units in the top half of the league. So let's get to our third question then. Uh, Tony Romo should go to, insert team here, go. Uh, Be traded to specifically. Wherever his home is, he should retire. Like, Oh, he's come on. I'm sorry. Like, no. All right. No, I, I, I think don't he should go think... to Denver. He goes to Denver eh, that, and he mentors Paxton Lynch. He mentors Paxton Lynch. Even can't, if he doesn't they get... can't trade him, actually. The trade deadline's passed. So, yeah. yeah, the trade deadline's passed. But it like, gets released next year. He is the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And they try to ride the last year of that defense being together. And, and then they, you know, they ride off into the sunset. But all right. So next question. Pete Carroll decision. He had a decision at the end of the game in New England where he went for two up by seven to basically try and ice the game. Ended up failing, and Bill Belichick was caught on camera saying, why would they go for two there? So this, this is a game where you're on the road, you score a touchdown, you want to put the game away, you want to go up by nine and not up by eight. Uh, is that a smart decision? Um, I think it, 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 I would lean again. I, I certainly am, am one that prefers the more aggressive decision-making there. I think coaches a lot of times, um, you know, fail to be aggressive in situations where they could really genuinely help their teams. Um, and, and I like that sort of call. I mean, again, you're, you're turning uh, a one score game into a two score game and you're trusting in your offense, you know, that, uh, they can go out there and, and convert on this one play that's going to make, a, a massive swing in your win probability, right? So if you are able to turn that into a nine point lead instead of an eight point lead, like your chances of winning that game go up significantly. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely the the right decision in that case, especially with All their right. defense, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you're going yeah. against new England um, and that's kind of its own, own kind of separate challenge there, but you have, you know, possibly the best defense in football, obviously a defense that you feel very comfortable in. So, uh, yeah, I think considering the context of their, their team and their makeup, absolutely makes sense. All right. Two more questions, roughly three more minutes. Let's get to these next two really quickly. Number one on basically as a defense trying to block a field goal, you should jump over the line every time. True or false? True. It's awesome. All right. And then second one, Based on the end of the same play as a player in the NFL, you should always wear white cleats. No, because that would make my life significantly more difficult. <laughs> I say this because, okay, so I do the player participation stuff really quick for PFF right now. And, and a lot of what you're looking at that, that helps, it, uh, helps you more easily identify players is accessories like okay, this guy's wearing white cleats, this guy's wearing black cleats, this guy's got red cleats. That That's all you need to look at. You don't need their numbers. Like, how so much. always wears those dope yellow gloves. Yep. Yellow gloves. Yep. I love it. That's how I know it's Kyle Rudolph, because he always wears those dope-ass yellow gloves. And, yeah, but it, for those so of you who didn't catch the game, yeah, for those of you who didn't catch the game, the, the end of the New England, or the end of the, sorry, Denver game, ended with a player on an extra point jumping over the center and blocking the extra point and then and then having that someone else in the Denver defense recover that ball run down the field more than likely step out of bounds and return it for their own two-point play but because they were wearing white cleats the referees couldn't determine whether or not that player was actually out of bounds they end up getting the two points and end up winning the game by that margin. So really quick, one of my favorite things, favorite comments about the the always jumping over the line uh, thing and whether that's because there were some comments like uh, earlier this year that, that it was like bad for football, right? It was a bad play. I think there was some coach that said that, made that comment. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. Dude for the ringer. Uh, not Robert May is not Danny Kelly, but the other NFL writer that I can't think of right now, I apologize. But he had you talk. I'll look. Um, so so he had uh, in one of his columns a comment about how 
basically jumping over the line to block extra points and field goals is bad for the NFL. Like, uh, oh my God. And I'm, I just am totally messing this up. A movie with flaming guitar guy. Mad Max. Mad Max. Mad Max. So it's, it's jumping over the line of scrimmage to block extra points and field goals is bad for the NFL. Like Mad Max is bad for movies. It reminds us that every other movie doesn't have flaming guitars. Yeah. And it was like uh, Kevin yep. Clark. I think Kevin Clark. Guy Thank you. About. Yep. Yep. Kevin Clark. Um, so All yeah. Right. I well, that. now let's get to the last question here, and we've got maybe a minute to get to it. But it's it's really it's actually a story. Now that you bring up the Ringer from this week's Ringer podcast, where one of the hosts was at a wedding in San Francisco, and the wedding the reception rented out a bar, and. At this bar, randomly, uninvited and unannounced, Jerry Rice shows up. And this bar is closed. It's rented out for the wedding. And Jerry Rice gets to the door, and the bar staff goes, hey, you know, we're closed for a private party. It's a wedding, yada, yada. And Jerry Rice just goes like, well, can I come in? Like, can I just crash the wedding? <laughs> and they do. They let him crash the wedding. It's a bunch of people from Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area, so everyone recognizes them. They take a bunch of pictures, and he just hangs out at this wedding and drinks and chats with people. So, so the question they asked on the Ringer podcast, and I felt like it was a question more appropriate for our listeners in our show, or equally as appropriate, I will say, is obviously Jerry Rice can do that. He is Jerry Rice. We talked about him earlier on the show. Every trivia question that you can think of for wide receivers, the answer is Jerry Rice. What level, where is that bar as to what other members of the 49ers team in franchise history can do that same thing and get away with it? Oh, in, in franchise history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Maybe not in franchise history. Like maybe, maybe like right now. Maybe, let, maybe let's just talk about like alive players, right? Like, let, so could Terrell Owens walk up to a bar and say, I'm Terrell Owens and walk in and have everyone be like, hey, yeah. could J.J. Stokes do that? No. Could Garrison Hurst do it? Could no. Terry Kirby do it? No. Mark Edwards? No. Obviously, Steve Young could, but yeah. he'd probably ask for milk instead of a beer. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's not really going to rock up to a beer and be like, let me in. Uh, Giovanni Carmazzi? No. Could he do it? No. He's, of course, sentient in the news or he's salient in the news right now uh, with, with the whole Tom Brady thing. I mean, there, there's where do you draw that bar? Where's the line? Um, they have to be, I guess, for, for, for lack of a better term, like pro bowl caliber player. Like if, if you were a really good player and I can very easily not have to think and be like, is that this person like there? He kind of looks like he might be this person, but I can't really tell. Um, Dana Stubblefield. Yeah. See, I don't know. Well, Dana Stubblefield. I don't think Dana could do it. Dana Stubblefield couldn't do it. No, I mean, Brian Young. Yeah. I think Brian Young couldn't do it because most people would confuse him with Dana Stubblefield. I mean, fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Brian Young. He's one of my favorite players in, in NFL history. I have an autographed football behind me uh, from Brian Young, and yet I don't know that that he could do that. He it, people would stare at, at Brian Young and go, "That's a lie." So I guess I don't also you. is this uh, is this like theoretically crashing your wedding? So like, am I thinking about would I let this dude crash my wedding, or just like in general could they go crash a wedding? No, like in general, because if it were your wedding, you'd probably recognize like I don't know. Terry Kirby or William Floyd, you know, or, or, you know, um, someone that like, you know, okay. just some obscure player and you and I probably both would. Um, but I'm talking just like a regular old wedding. Okay. In that case then, yeah. I mean, you got to up your bar uh, a little bit higher, like all pro caliber, like very, like he's got to have been in a commercial or two. Like, I don't think Dwight Clark would even make the cut, dude. No. Especially at this point, like unless you're unless this is like an old person getting married for the fourth time, like uh, <laughs> they're not going to have any idea who Dwight Clark is. All right. Um, I want to I want to find this line somewhere. I want I want to I, I want to figure like, out where all pro caliber this. player in the last decade. There's like four and, of and, them. unless you unless you are just like a Hall of Fame, you know, Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Below that, you're looking at like all pro dude. Like See, Patrick Willis is going to be able to go crash a wedding, right? I don't even agree with that because you're talking about like Hall of Famer. I mean, there are some people in the Hall of Fame that are still alive that legitimately people have no idea even, you know, we're on the 49ers. Um, 
Yeah. You know, so I, it's it's good. It's an interesting line, but I thought it was a fun question. We didn't even get to the schlong one. Um, I'll, the I'll probably yes. retweet. The answer is I'll yes. Probably, <laughs> the, the question was, did so Antonio Brown, if you, you didn't see the fake spike play, um, he does a celebration and it looks just like his celebration was him holding a schlong. Uh, like he whipped out his manhood and said, here, take a look at this. Um, my initial reaction, like no shit is, is he like fake holding his dick right now? <laughs> like that's, I mean, yep. absolutely is what was happening yeah. there. I'm, I'm yep. convinced you can't tell me otherwise. Well, what I think is the best part about that celebration is that there are players that were fined for much less. Uh, you got a player who pretended to fall asleep in the end zone. You had Vernon Davis who, you know, pretended to dunk or who shot a football yeah. through the uprights and he got fined. Um, and, and yet here is Antonio Brown like, basically fake exposing himself to the world. And the NFL's like, I don't know what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, well, that's that's the, the NFL quick hits. So let's get to then the the Patriots preview. And and really, I think the story here for the Patriots game against the 49ers is not if we're going to lose but by how much we're going to lose. Yeah, we're going to lose by a lot. Like, it's it's not going to be a small number. Um, we'll, we'll get to the Vegas line here at the end of this, but, I mean, it's uh, they're, they're pretty heavily favored, it's safe to say. So um, I, I think within that, though, there are a few things that, that are somewhat worth being interested by, right? Like, we, we know the outcomes. Uh, I mean, it would be, if the 49ers won this game, it would legitimately be, one of the most shocking things to happen this NFL season, like just completely out of nowhere. Um, so accepting that kind of ultimate fate, you know, again, I think there are a couple of interesting things we can look at. One is going to be one of the main takeaways that we had from the previous game, right? With the, the 49ers passing game. Can they kind of continue to build on their performance from the last couple of weeks? Because while you, you would probably argue that the Patriots are better than the 49ers in basically every single facet of this game, um, the weakest link for the Patriots, if you had to point to one, um, it has been their pass defense so far. Right now, they're 27th in pass defense DVOA. A lot of that has to do with their pass rush. They're 31st in adjusted sack rate. And most of their front seven players, when you look at them, are, are better run defenders than they are pass defenders. You know, they have a couple exceptions in there. Guys like Dante Hightower are, um, you know, kind of great at everything and good at coverage and against the run. But for the most part, when you look at a lot of their D linemen, um, you know, like Malcolm Brown and some of the interior guys, even some of the role players that they have on the outside, guys like Rob Ninkovich are, are better run defenders than they are pass defenders. So I think there is some opportunity there. And I think uh, the area to kind of focus on within this is going to be the middle of the field. Um, right now through, uh, the first 10 weeks, new England has a 22nd ranked pass defense by DVOA on throws to the middle of the field and are 25th against tight ends. Um, right now, when you're looking at those defenders, Logan Ryan and Patrick Chung are, are their two primary slot defenders and neither of them have been very good this year. So I think when you look at that being the area that new England has kind of struggled defensively, um, against the pass and that also kind of being the biggest strength of this 49ers passing game you know when they have kind of gotten things going it's generally been throws to the middle of the field you know every once in a while you'll have one like we mentioned with the the Torrey Smith play on the sideline but generally a lot of their positive throws in the passing game have been coming in the middle of the field so I think that is an area where they they could see some success and and be able to kind of um, you know maybe build somewhat on what we've seen the last couple weeks. Now, as a point of comparison, the 49ers rank 17th in pass defense DVOA, and the New England Patriots are uh, much worse than that. So that just gives you, I think, a point of comparison. You're used to watching the 49ers pass defense. The Patriots are worse. And, of course, this is the team where Belichick is like, you know what? My premier pass rusher, Jamie Collins, I'll trade him. Don't matter. Out. And now here they are. Go to uh, Cleveland with, Purgatory. Right? And now that's just punishment. That's just it's mean. really harsh. Like trading a guy from a team that's a Super Bowl contender, kind of a dick move. Trading him to the Browns. Cleveland. Man. Hero yep. to zero. But it's been interesting how they've accounted for that. And, and this is, though, a Belichick that takes away the thing that you do best. I guess the question is, if I'm Bill, that, that's the Bill Belichick kind of philosophy of defense. If I'm Bill Belichick, 
what what is the thing that the 49ers do best that you're going to take away, right? <laughs> are you are you going to take away Carlos Hyde? Are you going to take away Colin Kaepernick? If you look at the last two or three games, and, and usually coaches look at, at four games of film to prep typically, then are you looking to take away Colin Kaepernick? And if you do, are, are you going to, like, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably have to look at it taking away Kaepernick and not even necessarily as much with his, with the passing game, right? Like the, the probably the most dangerous and the most efficient part has been his legs. I mean, he's been consistently very good at picking up yardage, especially in some key situations. You know, we had a couple third down conversions in this last game from him. Um, you know, of course he had the game tying touchdown there around the end. Um, that one being on a designed run, but they've been with this offense, very effective, um, with their quarterbacks running the football. And so that's been kind of the one, I would say, consistent thing, um, consistently good thing, rather, uh, for them basically throughout the entire year. So the running game, you know, I guess more traditional run game when when you're looking at what the running backs are doing has been very bad. And that's, you know, from a couple of reasons. One, because Carlos Hyde hasn't, uh, of course, been there the whole year, been healthy the whole year. And then the the offensive line, for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to figure it out uh, with the run blocking. So I, I think if you had to point to one, you know, quote unquote strength for this 49ers offense, you would have to point to Colin Kaepernick and, and trying to to limit what he can do. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're Bill Belichick, you limit what he can do by I think you've got to not even play coverage because I think you just get after him. Yes. I think you you Agreed. you, you kind of make him run. And you spy him and and you hope that whomever you put to spy him and you get after him is enough to to make everything break down because you've got to be able to trust despite how crappy your pass defense is. You've got to be able to trust your defensive backs against these receivers one on one. I mean, yeah. And you, and you have a couple of good uh, guys back there, right? You have Devin McCourty, you have Malcolm Brown, who have. Uh, or wait, Malcolm Brown. No, that's the Malcolm Butler Butler. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you have a couple of quality players in that secondary. Again, they're not, uh, all great. Uh, you know, Chung and Ryan have not been very good when you, when you look at some of their other cornerbacks, but, um, yeah, I mean, you have some guys and like you mentioned, you consider the, the, the opposition, right? Like the, this 49ers wide receiver group, not very good. You're, you're not going to count on them to win a lot of one-on-one matchups. Um, so I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you take your chances with them one-on-one, you're going to play a lot of man and you're going to try to get after Kaepernick because that's still been the, the one thing that is, uh, consistently giving him trouble is he, he struggles, struggles with pressure, struggles against the blitz. Um, and, and that has been a, a problem for him for a while now. So now on the flip side of the ball, you've got the Patriots offense. And of course you've got one, Mr. Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady never played in Candlestick Park. Fun fact. This is the first time he's playing against the San Francisco 49ers. And the first time, of course, we played Tom Brady. Uh, well, not the first time, but the first time where it mattered. It was Colin Kaepernick in Foxborough. But then you have Tom Brady, who's returning to his childhood home with the Sarah High School and playing in Levi's. You enjoy that, buddy. You enjoy that. <laughs> and and instead, so you think of their offense, right? The, the Patriots offense is really driven by Brady. You've got, you know, collapsed Lung Gronkowski, who's not going to play. Is this a, a game where the Patriots just basically say, all right, let's see what happens when you get a heavy dose of LeGarrette Blunt?" Because while their pass offense is remarkably exceptional because of Tom Brady, their run offense is 20th. So is this a game where Belichick basically says, look, we're going to autopilot this shit. Just go ahead and run and then run and then maybe pass a swing pass to James White because I think we're going to run and then run and then run. And we'll get out of here in like two and a half hours and everyone can have some of their Sunday back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's really interesting, right? Because I think they're, you know, like you mentioned earlier with Belichick typically being in this offense, we've seen it from them, you know, uh, over the last several years where they just kind of adapt and, and uh, change what they're doing based on not only the personnel that they have, but also the opponent that they're going up against. And, and they kind of, aren't necessarily stuck in doing one specific thing. But this year has been a year in which they very clearly have uh, a kind of dominant strength offensively, and that's been the passing game. And then the the run offense has kind of just been, meh, it's been there, right? They're, they're 20th in run offense DVOA. 
Like Garrett Blunt hasn't been that great. I mean, he's been great for, I guess, fantasy. He's got 12 touchdowns already, which is insane, um, but hasn't ex- exactly been very efficient, right? Only 3.7 yards per carry on 182 carries. And they don't really have anybody else that's that's carrying much of the workload um, when you talk about running the ball. I mean, they have a couple other backs, notably James White, that's going to get in there you know, mostly in passing situations. And he has you know far more targets. He has 47 targets and only 28 carries. So he's really more of an extra receiver at this point. Um, so I think it's it, it's interesting to see, okay, do they go with this thing? We're just going to do what we do and know that that's still going to be better than what the 49ers can uh, you know, be able to muster from a pass defense standpoint. Or do we switch things up and maybe go a little bit more run heavy than normal because we know that the opponent has this kind of massive weakness there? Um, in this case, because of the specific makeup of this Patriots team, I didn't think that they're going to go with what they do, right? I think they're going to trust that this is what we've got right now. Like our run game isn't quite as good. And yeah, we might be able to have some success, but you know what? Brady in this pass offense is going to be able to throw no matter who's on the other side. So I think they, they go a little bit more that route. Um, But realistically, they can probably do whatever the hell they want and be fine. Are we going to see a big role from Deion Lewis? Fantasy owners everywhere want to know. If you're not familiar, Deion Lewis is on the physically unable to perform list. He has been activated, was activated just ahead of the Seahawks game, did not play. But for those of us that have picked him up and have him stashed on their roster, uh, David, we're waiting patiently. (laughs) I mean, man, I don't know if I have that answer. Uh, James White has been fine, I guess. Like, you know, he's kind of decent percentage of his targets. Uh, he's got three receiving touchdowns. Um, he's been okay. I mean, but I, I certainly don't think you could argue that he is of the same caliber of a receiving back as Deion Lewis. So if he's healthy, if he's, you know, ready to go, I, I think you would absolutely see him uh, kind of take over that role and become uh, a fairly prominent part of their offense, probably take some of the snaps from LeGarrette Blunt as well. Um, but it's really, I think, going to depend on where he's at physically and, and, and kind of, you know, how that health is doing at this point. Physically, he'll be in Santa Clara, but stat-wise, no idea. So let's talk then about the the player matchup for the Patriots game, and that's going to be Jimmy Ward versus whatever white guy New England decides to put in the slot. <laughs> because that's basically what their slot position is. I mean, From sure. Wes Welker yeah. to, Dan, to Julian Edelman to Danny Amendola, it's like, hey, let's find the, mo- the most hobbitiest hobbit player in the NFL that is fast and maybe used to play quarterback because intelligence uh you know they're real football <laughs> smart those those white players oh, man. um the and and so what's going to happen when you get jimmy ward up against uh the hobbit slot so this is i think a, a a very good kind of you know sort of a gps game if you will um for him because struggling with you know even though he's gotten better and we've said multiple times now that that we believe he is the best cornerback on this roster kind of regardless of of situation but that there's uh you know some expectation that he's going to struggle a little bit more with some of the bigger guys in the slot right guys like Larry Fitzgerald who had a big week last week and that wasn't all against Jimmy Ward but you know he did find some success there and uh, we've seen him you know in in various games struggle against those bigger guys that can kind of just out muscle him um this is not a situation where he's going to have those type of opponents in the slot right it's it's kind of the quicker shiftier guys and so this is where I want to see you know, in theory, these are the type of slot receivers that he should be able to be a little bit better against and be able to to be more effective against. And that's because one, I think, you know, even though he's a a smaller guy and it doesn't always uh, match up well when he's got the the bigger, more physical receivers, he does play physically, right? Like he, he plays a little bit bigger than his size would indicate. And I think that should allow him to kind of be more physical with some some undersized guys like Edelman and Amendola. So you would hope to see that he can get physical with them at the line of scrimmage, you know, be able to to throw off the timing of that passing game and and kind of find some success there. So I'm very interested to see how he does against those two players in the slot and whether he's able to, you know, kind of stick with them and and show us that he can lock down quality slot receivers of this particular type um, or whether, you know, there's still going to be some growing pains there against just generally top competition. All right, so give it to me straight then. What's the prediction for the game so far this season? Uh, we haven't picked every week, but the games that we have picked, David, you're 5-1 and 1-5 and one and against the spread. 
Uh, I am six and zero and two and four against the spread. Vegas line has the Patriots favored by fourteen, and the five thirty eight win probability has eighty two percent for the Patriots. That's the second highest of any team this week. That's behind Kansas City over Tampa Bay. So what's uh what do we win and do we cover? Uh no and no. I think are, are the answers there. Um, I went hey, with it last week. It was a, it's a lot of points. I mean, it's a lot of points. But we said the same thing last week. This sounds like a broken record. I'm going to look to see what our win probability was last week because, granted, we didn't win, but I feel like it was just a little closer than uh, the probability that we had last week, which was 85%. It, it was actually a higher probability. And I think that, that's entirely due to playing this game at home as opposed to on the road. Uh, I, I think can pretty much entirely account for that difference. Um, I don't know. I, I think that New England's going to score a lot of points. Like I, I, I think that they're probably going to approach 40 points in this game. Um, and while I think that the 49ers offensively can give us about the same that we've gotten the last couple of weeks, right? Like, get around 20 low, you know, low to mid twenties, uh, in, in the, the point to- total there, but it's just not going to be enough. I, I think that we're looking at something like 41 to 21 or 41 to 24 or, or something along those lines. So I, I think that we see the same sort of thing that we've seen from this offense the last couple of weeks, but the defense just is not going to be able to slow down this new England offense. I would be very very surprised if they keep them under 30 i want to believe i want to believe not the not that the not that we will win but that will just cover like 10 points <laughs> could you imagine how exciting within it would be two to get within 10 points uh um, like that would be exciting damn I, um yeah you know i want to believe but i like winning more so i'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> that we lose the game and that we do not cover uh, and go with the Patriots if I was a betting man. So uh, I think that is the bulk of the show. David, what's uh, what's our call to action this week? Oh, man. Um, we got a couple of one. You do something with the crash my wedding, right? Uh, we should really do something yeah, who with... Would, um, who, what's the... that? Actually, I like the crash my wedding. Here's what I okay. want to hear from you fans. I want to hear, like... The, the lowest level of current living 49er. And by current living 49er, I mean 49er retired or currently on the team or was on the team but then went someplace else. So like Frank Gore would still count, for instance. The lowest level 49er that you would like just say like, oh, yeah, dude, come in the wedding. Let's do this. Let's have a party <laughs> uh, because that's how much of a 49er fan you are. Uh what what did you call it? Lowest caliber niner? What did you say? Oh, uh, I I don't know. I don't know. Shit, we already I'm not forgot. here to remember these things. All right. Um. Yeah, you know what? Let's do lowest caliber niner. Right. Uh, lowest caliber niner, and let's hear what those names are. I want to hear some names up the woodwork. Like, don't come at me with this Merton Hanks business. Like, I'm talking like let's go deep. Like Giovanni Carmazzi, but do you remember the other guy we drafted that year? Jim Drunkenmiller. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I actually got... Uh, so, so funny story about him. When I was... Man, I was like, still in elementary school, I think. Um, maybe middle school. But right around the time... I went to the 49ers training camp. So I grew up in, in Nevada, right? So like going to training camp wasn't necessarily like a yearly possibility for me. But we happened to go in like back-to-back years right around the time and the second time i believe it was that we went was jim drunken miller's rookie season and the only thing that i will forever remember about him was actually that he had this smoking hot girlfriend that was going around to the crowd passing out like signed jim drunken miller rookie cards this like the entire the entire time that we were there um so that was i think pretty funny but yeah that's my only memory of him do you still have it, though? No, I don't think so. No. All right. <laughs> and actually, fact check, I was wrong. Uh, Giovanni Carmazzi was drafted in 2000, and Jim Drunkenmiller was drafted in 1997. Okay. So I was wrong. Incorrect. Both quarterbacks, go. but not, not correct in draft years. So I think that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. I really do want to hear what these lowest caliber Niners are. 
Like what, what's the one that you would allow in your wedding? And, and let me know. <laughs> I want to hear these come out of the woodwork because I think it'll be a ton of fun. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in. You can always read our stuff in the archives at Niners Nation. Uh, and you can always follow us on the Twitters. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at David Newman with an underscore at the end. Indeed. Thanks again to the Barbary Sound for putting together this sweet intro and outro music. And thanks, as always, to those of you who leave reviews on iTunes uh, because they really do help people discover the show. So thanks again. And as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>